It's great to be back uh, after uh, some weeks off and great to be among you and I'm very excited about the summer ahead. Uh, in fact, excitement's an understatement. I think we have an amazing summer ahead here at the chapel and an amazing fall. And um, one of the great things is I've been thinking about this summertime, one of the great things that many of us like to do around here, especially this time of year, is to, is to take a hike or at least a walk somewhere out there on a, on a wilderness trail. And hiking is wonderful, and if you've ever been on a long one, you know there are different phases of a hike. There's the, the invigoration phase, you get started on a hike, and more likely than not, you and others are filled with talking and excitement. And after a while, things get quiet, voices are replaced with sounds of breathing heavily. You might even get to begin to get into a hiking rhythm, and eventually when breathlessness hits, at least for me, pausing, resting, and taking in the view happen, followed by yet another phase of excitement and chatter. But as I've been thinking about summer and our summer ahead, and as I've been thinking about hiking and the hiking that many of us like to do, it seems to me that in many ways the community and the life of a community of faith is much like taking a hike. Faith communities like the chapel go through various periods, some wonderful, others tough, some invigorating, others exhausting, and I think once in a while, it's good to pause and take a look, rest, and reflect upon where we've been and where we're headed. With this in mind, before I get started in this series, I just very briefly want to pause on the hike the chapel is on and celebrate and take a look at what God has done through us over these years. I do believe we have a great leadership and great volunteers along with an amazing staff. We've grown not just in size, but in our walk with Jesus. We have an amazing way of caring for young and for old through thick and through thin. We have over 20 Stephen ministers who walk alongside people who are in a tough spot. Our relationship with Snowmass Village is healthy. The village helps us and we help the village. We have more and more people showing up to get involved and more and more people are using their time, talent, and treasure to make the chapel what it is. Our outreach grows and grows and you may or may not be aware, but through Snowmass Chapel, we disperse well over $100,000 a year to organizations up and down the valley. To name just a few examples, we care for families who are in crisis or dealing with monumental challenges. We help fund protection for women in abusive relationships. And this spring, we have become the conduit through which first-generation college-bound students in the Roaring Fork Valley are receiving, first, are receiving substantial scholarships. Our worship, I believe, is powerful. We have extraordinary yet affordable summer camps. We have expanding youth, children, youth, expanding children, youth, and family program. Our grounds are beautiful. And I could go on and on, but I just wanted to pause this morning before we really kick this summer off just to thank God for all that God is doing here, to thank each of you for helping make all that we do possible. It's been a joy. It's been a ton of hard work. And I love what we're doing, and I think we're in a great place. But now that I've just paused for a few moments, it's time to get back on the trail and move the chapel further down the road as we follow Jesus with prayer, intention, commitment, and a sense that together we're doing some of the most important work there is. As many of you know by now, the chapel is not a static, unchanging, sit-still kind of place, nor should it be. When Jesus approached people, he asked them to follow him. For example, I cannot find a place in the Gospels in which Jesus said, for example, hello, my friend, I'd like you to stay the way you are, not think anything different, 
Keep on doing exactly what you've been doing for years and change in no way. I can find no example of that anywhere in the Gospels. And sure, Jesus took time and invited others to periods of rest, but his guidance was never about telling someone to sit down and take a lifelong nap. And nor should we, as we keep our eyes on Jesus and follow him. Well, today I begin a sermon series that gets at something I believe is vital for us as we move forward at the chapel. And this series is all about exploring how we take Jesus' great commandment and great commission seriously, individually and collectively. Remember from our readings today that the Great Commission is all about going out into the world and baptizing people and introducing people into Christ and reaching people. And the Great Commandment is all about loving people. And from where I sit, the more and more each of us takes Jesus' great commission and commandment to heart as our fundamental principle in life, the more and more our lives will be what God intends, and the more and more we will discover where joy comes from. And so this series begins. I know it's a warm summer day, and even this time of year, I have to say that I really like barbecues and fire pits. And I say that, however, despite the fact we're living in a high-danger fire zone, and that as of a few days ago, we now are on level two fire restrictions, meaning no fires anywhere. But when I thought of this whole concept for the series, there were no fire restrictions, but the principles still apply. <laughs> you see, I see fire is a God-given gift. And for the course of my life, I have loved looking at the colors of flames and all of the heat emanating from embers in a fireplace. Have you ever done that? Just kind of stared at a fire in a fireplace, look at the embers just glowing? And embers, as you all know, are, are key to a fire. No embers, no fire. And as I've thought about embers, it strikes me that as followers of Jesus, God calls each of you and calls me to live life like an ember. God wants us to live so much like an ember that our faith not only is ignited, but that we ignite the faith of those who are right next to us. Even those who don't have faith or who have had faith and have been disenfranchised by mean-spirited, hard-hearted religious folks, and there are a bunch of them. So I call this sermon series Ember Living, Love, Forgiveness, Unity, Community, a series on living and igniting faith. And as the title suggests, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be getting into love, forgiveness, unity, and community, and what they each mean. And these four things, I believe, love, forgiveness, unity, and community, help lead to a fireplace of Jesus embers, if you will. Now, each sermon is self-contained, so you can go online and watch in the future. But for now, I want to get started on this series. And now I want to talk about something very important in this realm, and that is that every one of us here today, we all know a bunch of people. Said another way, whether or not you know it, whether or not you think about it, you and I have a massive sphere of influence. We know a lot of people who are affected intentionally or not, by our actions, by our words, and by our intentions. You and I, for better or for worse, are in continual motion, influencing everybody we come into contact with. Fred Rogers once said, if you could only sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be to the people you may never ever dream of, there is something of yourself that you leave in every meeting with another person. What a profound truth that Fred Rogers said. 
There's something of yourself that you leave at meeting with every person. Now, some of us have lived in just a few places. Others of us have moved all over. Some of us run big businesses, some small. Others of us work in a variety of other vocations. Now, just for a moment, I'd like you to yell out where your hometown is. Just throw out names of cities or towns. Texas isn't a town. <laughs> it's a planet. <laughs> anyway, if you were listening, there were a lot of places mentioned today, and so all of you cover a lot of ground, which is one of the great blessings of Snowmass Chapel, is we have people from all over. So a lot of geography is covered, and the bottom line, you and I cover a lot of geography, geography. we have a massive sphere of influence. In fact, one study shows that in an average lifetime, you and I will meet 80,000 people on average that we know perhaps 600 people, we have roughly 200 acquaintances, and while, you may, when, while we may or may not have a lot of friends, you and I affect people. We impact them. We touch their lives. We influence them. And all of this happens whether it's over the course of a five-second encounter or a lifetime relationship. Think about this. What, what a privilege. What an opportunity. What a massive responsibility. For a moment, I'd like you to imagine if you and I were to be more intentional day to day with our sphere of influence than we might already be. More specifically, imagine if you and I intentionally or more intentionally went about living each and every day, went about intentionally touching people in our sphere, whether a server, a spouse, a friend, a partner, or an attendant at a convenience station, what if we were very intentional about influencing that person we may never see again with the love of God? Think of the impact. Imagine if more and more people in our sphere of influence, and just think of all the places that were mentioned. Think, think of the movement that could happen. If you and I were very intentional, and with people we simply come into contact with in our daily lives or come to know or we have had a relationship forever, if they were to come to know the love of God through us. Think about that. How might we impact people if people were to come to know the love of God through us? Simply by how we are, our facial expressions, a smile or a frown, an angry voice, a gentle voice, a kind statement, a mean statement, by our expressions, by our stance, by our physical presence. Just think of the impact this many people can have in all the places that we mentioned, if we thought about being intentional about sharing the love of God. And I believe if we take Jesus seriously, we have zero option not to take the love of God seriously. This is why Jesus said, the way you love people will show others that you follow me. And when we want to take God seriously, it's clear that God calls each of us to use our sphere of influence to show people the love of God. Do some of you think about this that are running businesses? Maybe you have thousands of employees. Maybe you have 10 employees. Do you, do you think about every day when you go to work, how am I going to show my employees the love of Jesus? How am I going to influence them this way? And when Jesus spoke about sharing the love of God and loving people, like it or not, there were no addendums. There was not the word but. There were no add-ons. 
There were no confessions of faith attached to it. There was no one to be excluded from that love. And you see, sometimes Christians get it wrong. Sometimes me even. Sometimes we think it's our job to, to change people. It's that it's our job to cause people to think differently, to act differently, to believe differently, to conform to our comfort zones, to live by what we have known, or to get people to come into one particular fold or another. If we're Catholic, our goal is to make more Catholics. If we're Baptist, Baptists, more Baptists. If we're Protestants, more Protestants. But as I see it, and because Jesus said it, our job is straightforward, clear, and the hardest job of all. And that is to take the transforming, life-changing love of God intentionally out to everyone we encounter. You see, it's the love of God and God's love that transforms. It's God's love that changes people. If you will, it is God's love that converts people, not we who follow Jesus. You've heard me say it before and I won't quit. Jesus said the whole thing, the entire shebang, the point of it all, is to love God and love others and to learn ourselves as God does. And you all know me well enough now that I have no intention of building Snowmass Chapel as an institution, or as a church, or as a building. But rather, I believe we are called to build an on-fire community of Jesus embers who love God and love people, who intentionally go out to love people so that they too will come to love God and love other people themselves. It's that simple and that hard. This is the great commission, the great commandment, all rolled up in one. Now, I'm an apologetic Jesus follower who takes Jesus as his word. And Jesus said it's about love, so that's what I believe this community must be about at its core. It's the fundamental reason for its existence, as I speak about over and over and over again. And what breaks my heart is that there are people of Christian faith who want to add long lists of things and requirements and ways of being to this fundamental, clear, and challenging commission and commandment of Jesus. Our walk with Jesus is not at its heart. Jesus never said what I'm about to say in the opposite way, but Jesus never said that following me is about thinking right or doing this or that or accepting this rule or that or inflicting power on the unsuspecting or engaging in relationships and manipulation. Our walk with Jesus is not about excluding certain people from certain roles, about institutions or bureaucracy or sitting on seats of judgment. Jesus never got into that, which is why he ticked so many people off. Instead, he said, your job is clear. Love people and love God. God is love. Love people and love God. It is that hard, that clear, and that difficult. No addendums, no add-ons, and the religious people crucified him because of that simple message. Over the centuries, why has this been so tough for us as Christians sometimes? Why have so many of us, even me, mucked this up? Why are Christians now often known for what we're against, who we disapprove of, partisan politics, angry dialogue, or the use of jargon that causes people who do not know God, to flee understandably in the other direction. And Jesus did not come to create a new religion. He came to remind the religious that religion is not about religion. It's not about the walls and the rules and exclusion. It is fundamentally about living and loving others by our actions. Jesus came to start a movement, and I believe the chapel is called to be part of the Jesus movement with love being the point, the purpose, and the goal. Jesus died for us on the cross. Jesus was bodily raised from us, was raised from the dead for us on Easter morning. God came among us in the flesh as Jesus. Why? Love. 
God's unbounded, astonishing, limitless, life-changing love is why, because God is love. Now this spring in our weekly e-letter, I wrote about a powerful image I first heard in a program called the Alpha Program, which is a great program that gets at Christian basics that has stuck with me for years. It's an image that represents what I believe we are called to make our lives about. The image is told in the following short story that I've adapted a bit. There once was a woman who felt that life was meaningless, and she struggled finding purpose in her days, and the faith that she had once had felt, felt empty. In her mind, she believed in God, but her heart was not there. And when she was faced with challenges, when she tried to pray, it often felt as if there was no one listening. And so on one cold winter day, she went to her pastor and described what was going on in her life. He was glad to see her, and it just so happened that when she met with her pastor, that they met in a room with a roaring fireplace. And she began to share what was going on in her life. The pastor took some fireplace tongs and removed the red-hot glowing ember from the fire and set it on the hearth. And over the minutes that followed, as she continued talking, she noticed that the ember turned black as it cooled. And sometime later, when she had finished telling her story, the pastor took the cool black ember and returned it to the fire. And when we did so, the ember immediately heated up, turned red, and flamed back to life. And at that moment, the woman realized that she had been like the ember. She was away from the warmth, love, heat, and fire of a loving Christian community. And as a result, her faith and trust in God had cooled. She now understood that to have a strong, resilient faith, she needed to be part of a loving community of faith. But she also came to understand something else that day that totally transformed the way that she lived. She knew then, as she knows now, that she needs to live each and every day as an ember for other people. She knew then that this was the point of her life, to live as an ember for other people, taking the love of God to those who were in dark places, who were lost and alone. And as I think about this story, and I think about the community that Somas Chapel is, a place for people from all lots of life, as I see it fundamentally, you and I, we are called by Christ to be embers for Christ out there in a sometimes very dark, cold, mean-spirited, self-centered, self-righteous, judgmental, angry, divisive, harsh world. We are meant to be embers of flame with the love of Christ. We are meant to get next to those embers that have gone dark or in fact were never lit and to love them with the love of God and show them God's love until red begins to appear. We are to invite them into a community of embers who know, understand, and get that it's all about loving God and loving people and, of course, loving ourselves. We are to be the source of fire out there and to share God's love with those who need it the most. And I want to go back to the sphere of influence. Just imagine, think of all the names of the places that were mentioned. Imagine if you and I intentionally or more intentionally than we may already see ourselves, if we really saw ourselves as an ember within our sphere of influence, regardless of what business or what industry or what job or what vocation. Imagine if you and I saw each day as an opportunity to be an ember for Christ in our sphere of influence. Talk about a game changer. 
Here's what the Episcopal presiding bishop, Michael Curry, said over a month ago. Just stop and think and imagine, think and imagine a world where love is the way. Why on earth would people have an issue with that? God is love. Just, but he said, imagine a, wor a world in which love is the way. Why would that create consternation? He went on to say, imagine our homes and families when love is the way. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. And the hard one, imagine governments and nations where love is the way. God is love. Imagine business and commerce when love is the way. Imagine this tired old world when love is the way. And I'd have to imagine, and I'd have to add to this, to ask us to imagine a chapel in a small mountain village where love is the way, where our spheres of influence go far and wide. Imagine that we are that sort of place in which we are passionate Jesus followers, where love is the way. Imagine if we saw ourselves as embers for Jesus, lighting and reigniting people around us with the love of God. So I invite you this morning to join me and really thinking about your sphere of influence, even if you already think about this stuff, but to think about it again, to think about where your sphere of influence is and what you're gonna do with it. And I invite you to think about your sphere of influence as the chance to help people know the life-changing power of God's love and what, might, what life might look for them if they learn to love others and they learn to love themselves too. Just imagine. So this morning when you cross the bridge and go back over the stream and head out, head out into the world, ask yourself, who, who in my sphere of influence today needs the love of God? And how am I going to take it to them? So let's go out and see what happens in all those places you mentioned when you and I just do that. Amen.